For Advent in 2021, I decided to do something a little bit different in terms of our theme for the talks throughout Advent. I thought it would be a good idea to explore Advent through the themes that arise with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. If that's not what you were expecting, then good, and I hope that you will enjoy and appreciate this slightly experimental approach to Advent. This sermon was the Advent Sunday Sermon from St Mary's Dis. You are listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Path with your preacher Samuel S. Thorpe. May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You know, the other day I was in Morrison's, walking down the aisle of Christmas goodies, and I had a brief look at the Advent calendars. Cadbury's, Lindor, Ferrero Rocher, if that's what takes your fancy, and many others were all there on the shelf, ready to entice those of us with a sweet tooth to indulge. However, without exception, they were all a rip-off. Each of them counted up to 24, clearly with a view of marking Christmas Eve. Theologically and liturgically literate these calendars are, scamming people out of the extra three days' worth of Advent for which we should each get a chocolate. For today, Advent Sunday is the start of this grand season of Advent, and these calendars take no notice. It's a scam, I tell you, a scam. And I'm sure that you each agree with me. If you do, please put your hand if you can get on board with this being a scam. Thank you. You know, it's a good thing that we are not theologically illiterate when it comes to Advent. We each remember that this Sunday is the beginning of a new Christian year and the start of the next arc of our liturgical pilgrimage through the Christian story of faith. As egregious as the scam of Advent calendars may be, we recognize that the commercialization of Advent, its hasty assumption into the Christmas scene of angels, shepherds, and donkeys, and maybe the something about a baby, risks impoverishing the richness of our season of Advent. And sometimes, in defending the Christian story of Christmas against the Coca-Cola santorization of culture, people make the misstep of focusing on the nativity of Christ. And so they concede that Advent really is about Christmas after all. Well, this year, we shall strive to avoid that concession and to operate with a distinctly and some might argue peculiarly, Advent theme. After all, it has always been the tradition of the Church of England since its distinction as such under Henry VIII in 1534 to focus on the great Advent theme of the four last things, death, judgment, heaven and hell. 
However, it's not just six centuries of tradition in the Church of England, but has been pondered seriously since Chaucer's responses to Dante in the 14th century. For it was Dante's poetry and soon after a painting by Hieronymus Bosch, which brought the four last things to bear upon the cultural imagination, popularizing these apocalyptic concepts to bear on the devotional imagination in Advent contemplation. However, much like Chaucer, I would prefer not to fall into apocalyptic speculation of the human experience beyond death. The Gospel of Christ provides us with hope, and although we have hope, it's for that pilgrimage which we make in confidence that when God reveals to us, individually and collectively, the actuality of how divine judgment and life beyond the resurrection on the last day will be, we have hope that we shall be known as children of God, secure under the banner of Christ, whom last week we remembered and praised as King. However, before we make our pilgrimage through death in the faith of Christ, we live and move and breathe in a world which has much to concern us. It is a contention of the Christian faith that the gospel is not just good news for when we die, but good news while we yet live. Thus, our theme for this Advent is of waiting in the world. And our guide through these four Sundays of Advent is just as apocalyptic as the four last things, but with an emphasis on recognizing themes which impact our world today. That is, we are going to be using the four horsemen of the apocalypse as our starting point each week. I did mention that this might seem peculiar. However, Janice Cruz and I have discussed this in detail and we have chosen the readings accordingly. And this is the way in which we shall be tackling Advent, both here in St. Mary's Dis, but also wherever you go in the villages. So I'm afraid, Tony, there is no escaping my horsey theme this morning. I hope that you will trust me and be willing to come along and see where these horses shall take us. First, let us remind ourselves of the four horsemen hearing from Revelation 6, and then we'll dive into the first of these horsemen and reflect on its theme for us this Advent Sunday. John writes, Then I saw the Lamb open one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures call out, as with a voice of thunder, Come! I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider had a bow. A crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature call out, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people would slaughter one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature call out, Come! I looked, and there was a black horse. 
Its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a day's pay, and three quarts of barley for a day's pay, but do not damage the olive oil and the water. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature call out, Come! I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider's name was Death and Hades followed with him. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, and pestilence, and by the wild animals of the earth. Four horses, four riders, and four forms of disaster, which we experience here in the world before Christ returns. And I heard one of the four living creatures cry out with a voice as thunder, Come! I looked and I saw that there was a white horse. Its rider had a bow, a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Thus, as we wait in the world, today we consider what it means to live with faith when peoples and nations are conquered and oppressed by others using force. And it's important to note that this theme of conquest is different from fighting and war, which will be our theme next week with the red horse and its rider. Rather, we're considering what it means to lose, to live defeated with someone else lording it over you. An obvious example in our minds, or at least in the news recently, would be of those living in Afghanistan under extremist Islamic rule. Following the military retreat in August, many liberties which had been regained, such as the ability of girls to go to school, has been undone. Situation is so dire that we have horrific stories of people forced to sell one of their children in order to provide for their other children. It's such conditions as in Afghanistan and elsewhere in the Middle East and Asia that's prompting so many people to flee and make desperate journeys in pursuit of freedom, whether that be by bribing armed forces to let them try and get past the razor wire which lines various borders, or whether it be boarding flimsy inflatable dinghies to try and cross the channel. The point here is not a political one, simply that the experience of oppression is a very human reality which affects many people around the world and has been a persistent feature of the historical and indeed biblical record. After all, the key narrative of the Old Testament, which shapes so much of the rest of scripture as both historical and symbolic reference, is that of the slavery of the Jewish people in Egypt and of their subsequent divine deliverance, the Exodus. Although centuries later, the basic context of the New Testament is that of the Roman Empire exercising militarily enforced rule over not just Israel and Jerusalem, but the whole of the Mediterranean. Jesus' entire life, from his birth to crucifixion, was in the context of a mishmash of competing political powers at varying scales, from the local rule of King Herod to the religious leaders who would have Jesus arrested, 
to Pilate as representative of the wider empire. And so our gospel reading, which we heard a short while ago from Luke, quotes our other reading of Isaiah. And it is quite a statement from a man who is living in this scenario of occupation. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Some have described this as Jesus' manifesto, his raison d'etre, which motivates his entire ministry. This is a message of freedom and liberty for those who are afflicted. And such a message is hardly a pithy platitude said easily. But it was so shocking that a few verses later, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of a hill upon which the town was founded, so that they might hurl him off of a cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. It's not just that Jesus had a message of freedom that was so shocking. It was that he claimed to be fulfilling a long-awaited prophecy. It's even more striking then that people were so unprepared to consider that at long last things might change and that Jesus might be speaking the truth. Indeed, to speak the truth is often a radical act. And in the context of occupied rule, of unjust conquering and of oppression, the truth can be subversive, upending the accepted structures of reality in uncomfortable ways. This is true at every point of the scale, from the tyranny of dictatorships to the social matrix of our own human relationships, and even within our own personal wrestles with sin. Standing up for yourself and resisting peer pressure from others, bullying from friends, family or even spouses, or cultural expectations not to rock the boat, can be difficult whether you're nine years old or ninety years old. Resisting the subtle yet persistent voice of sin, whispering that you're worthless, inadequate, or go on, just take place one more bet, Drink one more drink. Resisting that can be draining. Yet at every scale, these oppressions are significant. And it is to these oppressions that Jesus brings good news. He is the one who has come to bring good news to the poor, to release the captive, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed, and to proclaim the favour of the Lord. And this message comes at a cost. It was not, as some hoped it would be, a military victory where he rose up and overthrew the Roman army. The gospel hope is that Jesus Christ was born for us sinners so that by his death upon the cross we might receive the liberation which comes from divine forgiveness and we might become children of God who live not by sight but by faith empowered by the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the grave by the will of God the Father.
Those who are conquered and oppressed often lose their lives. Yet for them, Christ has already given his life, that they might have hope. This Advent, as we wait in the world for the reality of Christ's return on the last day, it is our duty as Christian people of faith and hope to share our hope of Christ's freedom with all of those who need it so desperately. This might look like supporting various charities, doing the work that they do with those who are afflicted and oppressed. It might mean giving generously to the work of the DISTEAM ministry as we minister to those in our community. But it might also mean having some difficult conversations with our friends, with our family, with our neighbours, breaking into their situations of oppression with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So let us come and feed on Christ and be nourished in our souls by the presence of God who can free us from every oppression and preserve our bodies and souls unto everlasting life. And I invite you to join me again next week as we move from the white horse and its rider of conquest to the red horse with its rider who brings war and conflict, as we consider what it means in Advent to be people of peace. Amen. Amen.